Hello and welcome to the Tech for Climate podcast. I'm Guillaume, your host, and each week, I'm fortunate to share with you stories from climate tech founders, investors, and corporations sharing their unique insights into this fast-moving industry. Eventually, like me, you will learn, discover, and get inspired by those unique men and women who are contributing to the fight against climate change, and I hope it will help you to take a step in this formidable movement. So before we start, I just want to share a few words about us as this podcast is just the tip of the iceberg of what we do at Startup Basecamp to support climate tech movement. Our mission is to accelerate capital deployment towards climate tech founders, allowing them to focus on scaling their solutions. How do we do that? Every day, we help founders access to resources and connections and gain the visibility they need to expand their growth. We do this in a number of ways with a membership platform, a Slack group, with a growing number of founders, investors, and experts from around the world. And recently, we went one step further with a matching services to connect founders with top climate tech investors. Keep in mind that we are able to do all of this thanks to the support of our listeners and our members. So please like and subscribe, share one episode with a friend, join a community, and if you haven't already done so, make a small donation to support our work. It really means the world to us. And now, enjoy the show! Hi everyone, in this new episode of Founder Series, I had an insightful discussion with Anas Alcasas, founder and CEO of InnoViews, a startup that makes buildings smarter and greener for a sustainable future by integrating the latest energy saving and smart glass technologies into existing windows and facades without replacing the existing system. Anas, who is an architect and facade engineer, will share with us his passion for dynamic and smart facade systems and how his journey led him to work on mega-scale projects in Dubai before pursuing his master's in architecture in the US. Inspired by his father's entrepreneurial spirit, Anas embraced risk-taking and innovation to address the energy efficiency problems in older buildings by founding Innovators. In this episode, you will have an insider's perspective, deepening your understanding of the construction industry and the glass sector in the US. We will cover together the technologies that are being developed and we will perform a zoom at the current and upcoming climate regulations and incentives tailwind impacting the glass industry, as well as covering the strategies of penetrating this billion dollar market. Finally, we will hear how you can get involved with Innoview's mission to decarbonize the built environment. In the second part of the show, Anas discussed the importance of milestones-based approach while fundraising. Anas also shares how the flexibility from working from home has helped him achieve a work-life balance. Anas, welcome to the show. Hi, Anas. Welcome to the Tech for Climate podcast. I'm super happy to have you here with us today. I believe it's going to be a great opportunity to hear your story and understand this exciting adventure that you are on with Innoviews or Innoviews, uh, depending on your uh, French accent or English accent, I would say, but uh, which is re-energizing building facades and transform their windows into smart, energy-efficient 
renewable systems without replacement or disruption. So welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you, Guillaume. Uh, pleasure to be here. Uh, really excited for uh, talking with you. So before we start, it's a tradition on the show. Uh, can you give us a 30-second introduction about InnoViews? Sure. So uh, InnoViews re-energizes building facades through uh, our window retrofit innovations. Basically, we make buildings smarter, greener, and healthier for a better and sustainable future. Uh, we integrate some of the latest energy saving and smart glass technologies into existing windows and facades without replacing the existing uh, systems at all. So we cut costs of window upgrades uh, and uh, save building owners up to 40% on energy consumption and carbon emissions and uh, make buildings more you know, thermally and acoustically comfortable for the occupants. So let's start from the from the top. Uh, in this show, we like to you know first focus on the on the speaker as a human. Uh, so can you share maybe with us like your personal story, uh, background? I mean, what are you passionate about? Uh, what do you love to do besides uh, building uh, interviews? I mean, what makes you feel inspired or your best self? As I always ask, like who is Anas? Sure. So um, I'm an architect and a facade engineer. That's my background. Uh, I studied architecture in Damascus, Syria and uh, graduated. I had passion for dynamic facade systems and smart facade systems early on. My first serious attempt was my bachelor's degree project, uh, which was uh, kind of a little bit complicated. It was a retrofit system for an existing building also uh, that can change into 108 positions. Uh, it ended up winning an international award, and that got me into the facade engineering uh, kind of uh, industry or sector. Instead of going through the traditional route of uh, working for an architectural firm, I went and worked for a facade fabricator and window fabricator. Uh, there I learned basically the ins and outs and, and how these kind of bespoke uh, curtain wall systems and glass wall systems are designed, engineered, fabricated, and tested. Uh, that was uh, in Dubai when I worked there for like four years on some of the mega scale projects uh, in the area. Uh, after that, I went uh, to the US, uh, studied did my master's in architecture, went back to the architectural school and uh, started working at the kind of intersection between architecture and facade engineering. I was kind of uh, the person responsible for the facade and the building envelope uh, on some big projects in the US and internationally. So that's uh, that's my background. Um, very interested in, in basically innovative facade systems or building envelope systems. I look at the building envelope as one of the main components in a building because that's kind of, you know, the, the envelope that regulates and protects and uh, form the building basically. So there's a lot of innovation can happen there, a lot of creativity uh, in the building envelope. That's why, uh, you know, I, I love what I do. That said, when I started learning and doing interviews, uh, I came across the energy efficiency problem. Architects, a lot of time, focus on new buildings and they design them to the highest standards, to the current building code. We do not think much about the existing buildings like the the buildings that were built 20 years ago, 30 years ago, even 100 years ago. What's what's going on with them? How can we bring them up to current standards, make them more energy efficient? So uh, when I started interviews, I started looking at basically how can we integrate the latest technologies 
smart glass technology, smart window technologies into existing building envelopes without having to replace them. And that's when I started seeing that there is a big energy efficiency problem with, with the windows. And that's how I kind of shifted focus towards this problem. So sharing a little bit like your, your journey as you just uh, did, uh, if you look back at it and you take maybe like, what is the one or two uh, piece of experience uh, in a way that it gave you an edge to, uh, to start a company? I mean, what did you learn on that journey? Maybe like one of the uh, examples where you look back and you say, yeah, this is really uh, helpful on uh, on this journey of like launching a company because it's so different than uh, working for a company. Yeah, I mean, I'm a first time founder, um, haven't been in business much uh, in a professional way, uh, other than being, you know, in a capacity of an architect and a facade engineer. However, if I want to reflect back on my upbringing, I can say that my father was a true entrepreneur. So he started several companies uh, and businesses and kind of uh, developing new products and technologies. Um, so I was exposed to that kind of risk-taking uh, mentality and uh, approach to business. Uh, and I can say that helped me a lot. Um, because, you know, when you're starting a company, there's a lot of risk. Um, for example, I quit my job in Boston, moved to Houston to start this. And there is, there's a number of steps that it's not for everyone. And, uh, uh, I can say that that part of my life, I think influenced or helped me be a little bit more risk taker and open to, uh, you know, innovating and trying new things, even if that means there is uncertainty and potential risk down the road that it could not work. So. So before we start and we look a little bit more the, the macro approach of the, the built environment per se, uh, you mentioned that during this, uh, this journey, as well as an architect, you started to look at like the, the problem of energy efficiency and that gave you uh, in a way the, the path to uh, what you guys do with uh, InnoView today. But uh, related to this more like at large, this climate tech uh, industry, why, uh, what was your, in a way, aha moment or motivation to really say, okay, let's jump into that and let's try to focus on that problems with uh, this background and this knowledge that I have into the, into the space? Yeah, I mean, the first aha moment for me was when really I saw a thermal image showing the skyline of New York City. And that was striking because it was, you know, anyone without an engineering degree, without any experience in, in building envelopes or, you know, performance or anything would be able to see how much energy loss is happening through these buildings. I mean, buildings are energy hawks. If you look at the, basically right now, a chart of who's consuming more energy emitting more carbon, and you look at the building industry or the building sector, it's the biggest, it's up to 40%. It's more than transportation. A lot of people and a lot of uh, uh, research has been done sometimes and they don't factor every single aspect of the building industry. You have existing buildings, you have new buildings. And between all both, both of these sectors or subsectors, you have up to 40%. So that's more than industry, more than transportation. And now you look at the building sector or, or buildings 
and you see that you have heating and cooling. Obviously, that's the kind of the highest uh, consuming aspect of building operation. But what's contributing to that consumption is really the building envelope. Because if you have an efficient building envelope, you don't need a lot of energy to cool and heat the building to or the space to keep it comfortable. And uh, that's why that thermal image was very striking because you can really see who how many buildings are energy efficient and that the majority of buildings are really inefficient and leaking uh, a lot of energy through these uh, glass facades and windows. Um, so that, that was really a, a big aha moment that, that got me into trying to learn more and reading more and looking into statistics and uh, research about the topic and about energy efficiency for existing buildings. What are the performance uh, uh, criteria was at the time of building these buildings in different kind of vintages, different, you know, uh, 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 timeline, timeframes. So uh, that was a big moment. Yeah. You're muted, Guillaume. <laughs> Thank you. I was like, uh-oh. <laughs> okay. So now that, I mean, that we know a little bit more about like this, this overall contribution of uh, the built environment uh, in itself, in terms of like contribution, uh, in terms of greenhouse gases and like this impact on, on the climate change that uh, it can have. I mean, if you step back a little bit, like where are we at today in, in terms of like making this all uh, built environment uh, more energy efficient uh, and in a way uh, decrease the impact? And how far can we still go? I mean, if you had like a, a goal in itself, uh, what is the, the existing status there? So I remember reading uh, some reports from the Department of Energy here in the US showing that basically existing buildings needs to become a little about 40% more energy efficient to be able for the existing building stock to reach uh, the level that is needed to get the built environment to net zero. So if you think about getting every existing building built before 2000, let's say 40% more energy efficient, that means you are looking at deep energy retrofit measures, not just, uh, you know, like low hanging fruits, uh, you know, uh, kind of measures. So that absolutely requires addressing the building envelope. Now, there's a lot of work happened or is being, ha you know, done right now around uh, retrofitting existing buildings. There's a lot of initiatives. If you look in the past, over the past few years, uh, there's grants offered uh, to develop such technologies that are scalable, can be integrated into many building types and, and, and vintages and can be easily installed, low cost. And uh, there's a lot of innovation on heating and cooling, but we're now kind of starting to see things related to the building envelope as well. Historically, anything related to windows, facades is very expensive. So it doesn't pencil out as an energy efficiency retrofit. It ends up being, you know, uh, uh, resulting in a very long payback period, sometimes over over a hundred years. So you, you building owners just they're wired not to think about facades or windows. So that's the the thing that happens only if it breaks. Uh, so that's what we're trying to change now to make that happen. So that's where the kind of uh, 
facade retrofit, uh, window retrofit kind of new technologies are uh, coming into play. So, so now that we, we we frame a bit better the the context and as we discussed together prior to, to the interview, let's let's double click on on one part to decrease the the impact of the the built environment. Uh, looking at uh, at the windows and the envelope in itself, so. Maybe if you could start by giving to the audience your overview of the glass window sector uh, in the US I mean, today. I mean, what which technology is in place? When it's been developed, and uh, and uh, what which change is required to go up to up to speed there? Sure. So uh, there is there's not a lot of uh, statistic documenting exactly what is the makeup of the windows in each building here in the US. Unfortunately, there's been some research done in certain geographic areas, uh, some surveys. So, and based on that, the Department of Energy estimates that basically about 40% of the existing building stock have single pane windows. When we talk single pane windows, that means like a single sheet of glass, single layer of glass. Uh, now, there is something called double pane windows for those that are not familiar with windows. So you have single pane, you have double pane. So that's kind of the standard terms. Double pane means you have two sheets of glass with a thermal air gap or you know a thermal gap between the two panes that gives you sort of like that insulating value, like a thermos, for example. So double pane windows start being introduced into the market around, let's say, the 60s, 70s. And uh, that's where they, you know, 70s and 80s started to get like that adoption with low, low emissivity coatings and energy efficiency coatings. So you have that big chunk of the build, building stock, half single pane, about 40%. Now the remaining 70%, half of them have the early version of those double pane windows, uh, very energy inefficient, reaching the end of life. So you're talking about in total 70% of the existing buildings today, all existing buildings today, still have obsolete windows or energy inefficient windows that needs to be upgraded. Now, in terms of square footage globally, uh, we're talking several billion square feet. You know, that's that's a big, big number. Uh, there are estimates that quantify single pane windows at almost 200 plus a billion square feet so that's that's a big big problem globally now in order for for that to be upgraded you have now technologies if you look at the current state of the art you have at the highest end you have vacuum insulated glass so two panes of glass but instead of let's say air in between or uh, certain gases like argon or krypton that has a little bit lower thermal transfer uh, value than air are uh, is you have this vacuum. So basically you're giving, you're having 10 times the insulating value of a single pane. That's the current state of the art. And in between you have a lot of technologies, you have even smart glass technologies that change their you know, tint uh, automatically or uh, up, up, up on demand to reduce the solar heat gain, make the space more comfortable. So there's a wide range of technologies that are available today that are only accessible primarily for new construction or if you have to replace your entire facades and windows. So that's where we are. And the, ideally you wanna get, like you have building standards and passive house standards where you need to be at triple pane performance. So there's something called an insulating value called R value. 
a single pane window has an R1, uh, a vacuum insulated glass has R10 plus, and then building codes today are around R3 up. And, you know, ideally certain build, green building standards are R5 uh, or up, like passive house, for example. So really, you know, to be able to certify these buildings to become green buildings, or if you want to upgrade them to get to, you know, either a little bit more energy efficient, electrify the building, decarbonize the building, you need to be at that level and you need to upgrade them. You cannot do it with the R1 or R2. So uh, that's why retrofits are needed really for, for these kind of systems. So maybe if you could tell us a bit more about this uh, regulatory framework, because I, I believe it's uh, playing a, a massive, uh, you know, push into that uh, into that market. So what is the or what are the, the regulations uh, currently in place, and what are the one missing according to you? And maybe how is the IRA uh, impacting the the market uh, in the US per se? Yeah, I mean, if you look today, there is. The building code, that's what's uh, kind of guiding the building industry, but that's focused mostly on new construction. Uh, when it comes to existing buildings, it's applicable when you're doing a major renovation, for example, uh, or certain big changes in the building. Uh, that's when it gets triggered. Now, for there is now energy efficiency or, or an energy code for buildings that require certain standards to be met, uh, you have the International Building Code, basically, that's what's adopted. You have multiple versions every couple of years, it gets uh, updated, and then certain cities starts to adopt the next version uh, over the next few years. So you have different building codes in different states. Uh, you have different requirements. Some states are more stringent than others and mandating you know, certain buildings to be at a certain level. So if you look, for example, now, uh, at New York City, they're not only relying on the International Building Code, but they're also uh, mandating to uh, cap fossil fuel emissions and energy consumption, basically, uh, in, in certain in existing buildings to be at a certain level. And if you don't meet that that performance criteria, then you're you're facing steep fines. Uh, so that's Local Law 97, for example, in New York City that's complementing or, or uh, creating this great movement to push building owners to, to upgrade their performance beyond just the building code. Uh, however, that's not the case in every city. So, uh, you know, th there are other cities like Boston, they have their own version of, of Local Law 97, for example, uh, uh, Birdo, I believe it's called. And then there is, you know, in certain areas like uh, California mandating to be at net zero by 2030. And then starting with the gov with government buildings, uh, manning the rec retrofits. So you have these kind of different laws and regulations uh, that are pushing this energy efficiency movement to, to gain more traction and build momentum and, and, and get it into the market. And on the other hand, you have incentives offered. So you mentioned the IRA, uh, but before the IRA, you have the energy utilities. The energy utilities are offering really interesting and, and significant cash incentives for building owners to upgrade and reduce the energy consumption, make, make, more, uh, make their buildings more energy efficient. And that can be, just to give you an example, in New York City, for example, uh, Con Edison is offering up to 30% of the total project cost, up to a million dollars 
to uh, to help you uh, upgrade your building. So just think about that. That could really accelerate adoption of a lot of energy retrofit technologies. Uh, same thing in Boston. We have uh, we have now a, a project where we secured about twenty percent from uh, EverSource and National Grid for uh, for window retrofits. Now these kind of incentives they're not only for for a specific uh, product or for a specific technology or building components for anything mostly, and even if you're building a new technology, you can apply and say, hey, my my product or my system or my technology can save this amount. They 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 do some sort of validation on that um, energy modeling before and after. Look at the technology and if it's accepted, then you'll become qualified to apply for these uh, incentive programs. So now we talked about regulation or mandating retrofits uh, with fines. You have the cash incentives from utilities, and then you basically have the Inflation Reduction Act, which is offering federal on a federal level cash incentives through tax deductions or tax credits. So you have a, the, 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 um, uh, the ITC, basically, uh, the investment tax credit, uh, offering up to 30% of uh, you know, the total cost of implementing some smart glass technologies into the building, uh, like dynamic glass, for example. Uh, even if it's a retrofit, so even if it's integrated with our system and then you install an existing building, you can qualify for that. And on the other hand, uh, you have one uh, the uh, 179D tax deduction, giving you uh, 69 cents for uh, envelope retrofit specifically and up to $5 in general uh, per square foot of building area uh, for energy efficiency retrofits if you upgrade beyond you know 10% or 25% in terms of performance compared to your previous year performance so you factor all of that together and then you see this big incentives that is driving now uh or, or pushing this kind of energy efficiency movement and and making it uh more attractive to building owners to adopt and making it a good time for them to do, to do it so uh, and I believe in Europe is is the same case. There's a lot of regulation and incentives offered. Uh, you have higher energy prices in certain areas than in the U.S. So there's, you know, the payback period is much faster uh, uh, to implement these energy retrofit technologies. So um, perfect timing now, I can say. So. <laughs>is that something that really uh, goes into consideration for them or is still like the, the change in terms of uh, that you get is so minor that is not part of their, uh, I would say, plan or incentive to uh, to, to adopt uh, a better like uh, energy efficient windows? No, that's a great point. So in our uh, cost saving or cost benefit analysis, we incorporate a 3% escalation rate for energy prices. Uh, and that's been sort of like on average. However, you know, 
if you look at last year, like again, in New York City, um, there's been, I believe, an increase in energy rates by 20 or 30%. So like big, big jump, not 3%. And that's just a single year. So the estimates uh, uh, with 3% escalation rate, if you look at that with or without, it really impacts your energy savings, ROI, uh, payback period. So uh, especially when you're looking now into electrifying buildings and uh, moving them onto the grid, there's going to be a huge demand for electricity. Um, certain certain cities, the grid doesn't cannot just you know cannot handle that demand if all buildings trans you know transition to electric all of a sudden. So that could create some sort of uncertainty uh, around energy prices uh, for the future. Um, and we even had certain clients when we we submitted you know our cost benefit analysis. They they asked you need to you know put like 4% or 5% escalation rate. That's the case. That's what they factor into their uh, their models and calculations. So it's a, it's a big point and it's a, it's something that needs to be factored if you're looking long-term, especially for technologies that last like 10, 20 years. Uh, so you wanna, you wanna factor that into the payback analysis and uh, the RI analysis. Any any other point that you would like to add for this more like macro environment uh, view uh, in this uh, in this discussion? I think we covered we covered a uh, a good part of it. Um, I don't have anything on my mind now to add, but maybe later <laughs> during the discussion. Okay, so let's go deeper into uh, interviews. Um, can you remind us a little bit like the the story behind it and? Uh, uh, which gap uh, did you guys identify uh, initially that led to the, the current version of Interview? And uh, and in a way, why did Interview have to exist? Yeah. So the idea was in 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 very few words, is we wanna we wanna upgrade the existing facades and windows without replacing them. Because replacement, throwing away these existing components is just not cost efficient. It's uh, not environmentally friendly. It's uh, it's unsustainable in general on the long term and short term. You know because you have these uh, materials, not all of them um, reach the end of life. You have metal, you have glass. That you know glass, for example, can last a thousand years. So uh, you have certain you know sealants, gaskets, things like that that deteriorate fast at the beginning and uh, they reach the end of life after five years, 10 years or 15 years. But you can kind of reuse and upcycle the rest of the you know facade components or window components. If you throw them away, you put them into landfills and then you have to build new from scratch. Uh, again, that's unsustainable in terms of material uh, material materials used and uh, uh, materials thrown into, into landfills. So what we wanted to do is keep what's existing add to it and bring it up to uh, current standards or the highest, you know, basically performance levels and enable it to integrate these, these kind of cutting edge technologies available today. So that's how I started. I started doing kind of uh, research to see if there are anything in the market like this that enables this kind of uh, uh, retrofit approach. 
And there was not every every kind of solution required having to replace the glass uh, or you know major parts of the facade system, uh, sometimes even the entire facade and window system. So that's uh, that got me into trying to think of uh, developing a technology that can bolt on to existing you know windows is adaptable that works with you know all the different kinds of window systems and facade systems, and at the same time is agnostic to the glass technologies and able to incorporate or, or adopt anything that is available today or gonna to be available in the future and, and make make the facades upgradable, renewable. So that's that's kind of the 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 notion or the kind of the crux of why interviews exist. That took you know several years to to kind of figure out and develop uh, a long RD journey. Uh, to make it work and develop certain iterations of, of our flagship technology and then uh, do R&D testing, do prototype testing and, and then mock-ups and then pilots on actual buildings and, and experience, you know, the performance over winter, summer, you know, harsh, harsh environmental conditions and see how it works and reiterate and improve. So that's kind of the the story behind the development that happened uh, uh, at the beginning be for interviews technology maybe you can tell the the audience a little bit about like in itself the the, the project if you could walk us through like the the process I mean how does it work let's say I'm a developer or I'm building owner and I need to improve my uh, windows efficiency how does it work how long does it take uh, from start to finish? Which return can I expect uh, in general and uh, in which timeline? I mean, if you could help us to visualize the whole process and understand uh, understand in a way your secret sauce. Yeah, so uh, our flagship technology is called Insulating Glass Retrofit or IGR and it's attached on the existing glass. So we have kind of a, two parts, two main parts. We have a spacer frame uh, that is uh, uh, uses our proprietary aluminum extrusions. Uh, they're machined using high-precision CNC equipment and has a pre-applied structural glazing material. Those spacer frames gets attached directly on the glass uh, and then you apply a little bit of pressure to activate that gl structural glazing material, form them as a, as a frame using uh, 3D printed hand, gu hand guiding tools. And then after that, you have the, the actual panel or the window, the added window. It's a glass panel with another subframe and uh, a number of other materials, desiccant, um, secondary sealants, primary sealants. Now, this second part mates with the first part, interconnects and interlocks using small movements on three axes without using any fasteners or rivets or bolts or anything. And then at the end, once it's installed, we apply a special vapor seal around the entire perimeter, basically creating a hermetically sealed insulating gap um, that performs like a factory-made insulating glass unit. So that's kind of the notion that you're turning single-pane windows into double-pane or double-pane into triple-pane in place without having to replace, remove, drill, or alter any existing components. Um, we can do that very fast because majority of the product is prefabricated. Uh, the product is super lightweight because we're relying on the existing facades and windows. So it uses 70% uh, fewer or less material than a full replacement. And uh, the installation 
takes minutes basically to install um, uh, 10, 20 minutes, depending on the window location, window size, where it's located. So that's that's kind of uh, our flagship technology. It's adaptable, works on the exterior. You could be sleeping behind the window. The installation happens on the exterior without any disruption. Or it can be done on the interior behind the window. It sits uh, behind the glass. So it's uh, uh, that's basically how it works. Now, from, from the building owner's perspective, in terms of a time frame, timeline, let's say you have a 10-story building, and uh, that could take a few months to do our install, sometimes a few weeks, depending on how many windows there are. If you were to replace the facades and windows and go through the entire process of, you know, from start of, you know, hiring consultants and architects and going through the permitting process all the way to execution, GC and subcontractors, uh, remove, demolish the existing facades, vacate the spaces, take out your tenants, lose rent or income, all the way to potentially finishing the installation. We looked at several projects and did comparison. That could take a couple of years to do from start to finish. So that's why there's like extremely high cost and we were able to cut costs by up to 90% because you almost eliminate all of those uh, uh, middle points and all of those kind of steps. There's no need to vacate, no need, to, no no disruption to the operations of the building. It can be on the outside, installing very fast, you know, twenty minutes per window versus several hours uh, per window. So that gives them a much faster lead time to start realizing these energy uh, energy savings and comply with the regulations uh, uh, and, uh, and 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 have a, a cost effective uh, retrofit versus a full replacement. So that's kind of the idea. We help the building owner from start to finish. You know, we, we provide energy analysis before and after, showing them the performance, the savings, the expectations, and then even apply to for the incentives for them on their behalf to the energy utilities. Uh, we go out, measure a few windows. We don't need to measure every single window because our system is adaptable and, and takes into consideration the irregularities and squareness of certain windows. Um, and then we fabricate, we ship, we install using uh, local qualified and trained installers. Uh, so it's a it's a very smooth one shop one stop shop uh, kind of uh, approach to these retrofits. Uh, so the building owners don't have to worry about who's doing the install, who's offering this warranty, who's doing this, who's doing that. We take care and handle basically everything and uh, and uh, outsource a lot of the kind of parts of that process to partners that are local uh, where the project is located. So maybe t tell us a bit more about like this uh, all, uh, I would say, logistic approach that you have. So basically, uh, we understand you go, you see the, the building, you discuss with, um, I mean, the, the, the owner or the, the developer, um, you guys take measurement and everything, give them some report in terms of energy efficiency, then you go to production. Uh, how does it work? Where do you produce? Uh, where do you source your your glasses as well? Do you have like preferred partners? How do you how do you give a certain level of like uh, degrees of uh, you know certainty or warranty uh, on your product? How long can it last? And then how do you train those uh, uh, those installers? Like uh, how do you how do you uh, manage all of that together? Sure. Um... 
starting with kind of what's produced. So right now we fabricate our products in Houston uh, at our partner's fabrication facility, Momentum Glass. And uh, we have our product specialist, QC specialist, kind of overseeing that process to make sure everything is being built to our standards. Um, and basically we source the glass locally. So what we try to do is, you know, basically get all the materials in the US locally. And even if we, right now, for example, we have uh, potential projects in Canada, we're talking about sourcing the glass locally in Canada, at least doing the assembly there until we have a manufacturing partner who can, you know, fabricate and assemble everything locally. That's that's the that's the more sustainable approach, the more cost-effective approach, uh, instead of having to ship very heavy materials overseas from overseas or different locations. Uh, the same thing if we go to Europe uh, with Saint-Gobain, let's say in, in Poland or France, we'll be sourcing the materials locally. Uh, so that's that's the product fabricated in, in Houston. We have certain components that are proprietary. These can be shipped uh, as a kit of part, like an IKEA product, for example, and then glass only can be sourced locally or all the materials in the fabrication, depending on uh, the, the capabilities of our fabrication partner, what kind of equipment they have, what kind of skills and expertise they have. Uh, we can basically outsource everything, license the technology, or we can sell them the proprietary components and they do the assembly and then they act as a reseller. Um, uh, if they have installation capabilities, they can also do the installation. Um, now, in term, that, that brings me to installers. So installers, we, you know, uh, we have a growing network of local qualified installers right now in the U.S., our, our main market. And... Uh, what happens is that at the beginning, for example, we're going to a new geographic location or a new market, let's say New York City or Boston or Seattle. So we connect with kind of uh, the top blazers there and uh, we kind of uh, have a, a training period at the beginning where they get to see the product prototypes and then we do mockups, they install them, they get to see how long it takes, uh, how it works. Uh, and then we do sometimes even pilots. And then from that point on, we work with them on any future projects in that in that city or in that market. Uh, so, and as we go and expand, we, we add more uh, qualified kind of installers. These installers end up being, once they become comfortable with the technology, they can become the kind of, again, as a reseller, we sell them the product. And they sell it to building owners. They manage the installation and and the warranty service. So on the warranty side, so the standard warranty for windows in the market is basically 10 years, uh, limited material warranty. That's what we offer. And we also include a one-year labor warranty uh, so that if there is any kind of uh, workmanship issues during installation, that will be covered for the first year. No questions asked, no cost to the building owner to help de-risk this kind of new technology from their perspective and not enable them to feel more comfortable adopting this, uh, this solution. Um, but the product te technically it's designed to last the lifetime of the building because again, it's upgradable. So you can, let's say uh, the desiccant material reaches the end of life after uh, 10, 20 years, you don't have to throw away the double glazed uh, unit, the IGU or the insulating glass unit. Uh, you can basically just 
re reverse the movement, cut the uh, perimeter of apris here, reverse the movement, take out the panel, just replace the desiccant material, put it back in, seal it, and then you have a, another 20 years uh, of performance without having to throw the retrofit or even the existing facade system. So you have this kind of upgradability that makes facades more sustainable uh, and it's a, it's a low carbon solution uh, because you're maintaining the these kind of materials and reusing them every every 10 15 years or 20 years depending on you know the cycle so what are the existing limitation with your product and uh, in terms of type of uh, building that uh, you guys are experiencing today and uh, what's next on that sense like do you uh, uh, tell us a bit more. I mean, is it really uh, suitable for every type of buildings? Uh, I mean, we understand those uh, large uh, glass window uh, type of buildings or like brick windows and, I mean, office buildings, I would say, uh, maybe more. Uh, tell us a bit more about like where's the your area today and the limitation that you have and the one that you are looking at uh, after this uh, this step. Yeah, so we have developed several products and systems now that kind of complement each other. So this way, obviously, there is no single technology that works on every single building, every single window type. Uh, however, so our flagship technology, the IGR system, I would say works on 80% of buildings. And the other 20%, so we have another product called the SWR, Secondary Window Retrofits. Uh, it's breathable and complement this first one. So these two systems between them, we can really cover, I want to say 90% plus of all buildings. Um, that said, you have certain, you know, certain situations where it might not make sense for certain buildings to do it. Uh, not because our system doesn't work, it's just sometimes it doesn't make sense. Uh, from a financial perspective, unless they absolutely have, you know, there's significant incentives available and that location and energy prices will justify uh, these kind of retrofits. And, you know, especially if they have expectations with like five years payback or under. Uh, so that's where sometimes, you know, if you have very few windows, you have all concrete building or stone, you know, 1900 type building, like, you know, pre-war, and uh, no matter how, how energy efficient the windows become, you're still improving maybe uh, getting 5% energy savings on the overall bill. Uh, so sometimes building owners say, well, the, we this is uh, not a good fit for us. In other cases, you have some historic windows where they have like these divided mountains and you have these kind of little pieces of glass. So our flagship technology doesn't work because it needs to attach directly on the glass. But our secondary product works on, on that because it sits behind the window. So uh, we have these kind of complementing uh, solutions uh, that in most cases, if one doesn't work, the other would work. Uh, sometimes operable windows uh, is, uh, or sliding doors uh, become a challenge. So we have, you know, one solution works on them, the other doesn't, and we'll have to work around that. Uh, at the same time, if you look at houses, so the housing market, there are there are other solutions there that would be probably co as cost effective as retrofits because these are very very small windows. 
there's a lot of replacement windows now manufactured at uh, you know overseas coming to the U.S. at a very very you know low cost, and typically houses have lower window to wall ratio, lower window to area ratio. So you have very few area, you know, windows basically to retrofit or even replace if you need to. But we still, certain houses can be uh, a good fit for our solutions. They have like large glass areas, uh, you know, either either one of our systems would work on these kind of, uh, uh, kind of houses or, or types of windows. But can can you tell us a bit more about your uh, your competition today? Uh, do you have any direct competitors uh, doing the same in the in the US or in the rest of the world? Uh, how are you guys different and differentiate yourself? Um, I mean, how do you compare yourself to uh, other solutions in the market, and how do you protect uh, that technology from uh, you know cheap window manufacturer abroad that would like uh, uh, take a sample of yours and try to uh, to replicate that at a lower cost? Yeah, so um, there's a lot of uh, window retrofit uh, kind of low cost window retrofit products now uh, available. However, majority of them are like either storm windows or or uh, uh, you know storm windows that are exterior or interior, and these are more suitable for houses. That's what I said. Like basically, you have these kind of uh, uh, cost effective solutions that are available. Uh, they started. It's called a storm window because it's meant to really protect the existing windows during, you know, certain conditions like a storm or a hurricane. But at the same time, it adds a little bit of an insulating value to it. And now there's like uh, a little bit of advanced storm windows that have like low efficiency, uh, low emission, uh, low emissivity coatings on the glass or uh, that kind of turn single pane to double pane. But they're screwed into this, you know, the the building, the the facade, or the kind of the 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 walls, and they're not suitable for high-rise buildings, you know, very low-rise, uh, one or two-story kind of historic building or houses mainly. Uh, on the interior side, there are secondary windows that are now. This is a like a new category that is gaining traction, which is basically a window that sits behind the existing window. Uh, so that's our secondary product fits under that kind of category. Our primary product, the insulating glass retrofits, is kind of uh, the only technology that can be installed on the exterior of building facades and basically uh, adaptable to commercial buildings, high-rise buildings, low-rise buildings, all kinds of windows and facade systems. And it can also be installed on the interior. It's the only technology that, you know, creates a hermetically sealed desiccated thermal cavity between the existing glass and the new glass. So it makes it perform like a factory made insulating glass unit. Um, so in terms of condensation resistance and things like that. Um, so when you have certain glass technologies like smart glass technologies, transparent photovoltaic, they cannot be installed behind. Otherwise you either lose 50% of the power conversion efficiency or you create other problems with uh, thermal stress, uh, with tinted windows behind existing glass. So they need to be the first layer. So that's that's kind of uh, a unique competitive advantage to us uh, in terms of having an exterior non-invasive retrofit solution, retrofit technology. At the same time, even our secondary retrofit product is is unique because it's breathable. 
And uh, we've created this passive venting mechanism to it that allows the system to breathe through, you kind of let the excessive heat heat build up in the air in the air cavity to expand and go outside and, and you know get outside the window if needed so that it doesn't really build excessive heat in the cavity that could cause thermal stress on the existing glass and, or excessive or, or uh, persistent condensation, for example, unlike any other secondary window retrofit product. So uh, both both products, um, we have patents filed on them. We have uh, five patents received in the US and Canada, uh, pending patents in Europe, patents issued in China. So we have uh, we have a, a big IP portfolio. We have a lot of trade secrets, uh, basically uh, proprietary components that are uh, you know parts of our trade secrets profile portfolio. Uh, so those creates uh, a a another competitive advantage or a high barrier to entry uh, that you know helps us maintain uh, uh, this kind of competitive edge in the market. That if someone else wants to copy the product it's it's not that easy it requires a lot of r&d testing in the beginning to get it right to get the formula right for these different materials uh to give you an example just one one test takes about four months the accelerated weathering tests uh to simulate like a 20-year performance um and at the same time there is an important point especially with our flagship technologies that requires the expertise and equipment of different industry players so you have glass manufacturers, typically, they don't fabricate or manufacture window metal window systems. And metal window systems, they don't have to manufacture glass. So having uh, the insulating glass kind of expertise is not available at the window metal window manufacturers and vice versa, the, the CNC equipment and uh, the machining uh, expertise is not available at the you know, traditional glass manufacturers. So they buy from each other. Basically, the 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 glazing contractors are the aggregators that compile and and kind of fabricate everything together. So we need all of those, and very very few companies have the expertise and equipment of, of kind of and, and they sell their own glass and they sell their own facade and metal window systems. Um, so that's another layer of protection. And as I said, the R&D testing, you have like many years and that's added cost. So it's much easier for larger companies just to basically license the technology if they're interested in, in offering this to their clients or getting into the retrofit market, which is becoming a massive market compared to new construction. So finally, looking a little bit at the, the market opportunity here, I mean, where are you guys at today in terms of like uh, project, uh, actual projects that you're working on? And uh, what's the potential that you see uh, in the U.S.? What are the the, the next steps uh, to to scale uh, your operation? I mean, we were covering a little bit about you know the logistics and training like the installers and making sure that uh, the local uh, glass manufacturer and uh, were able to to give you the the production that you need. So, uh, how do you see the, those parts? What needs to happen for you guys to uh, go to the next uh, next level in terms of uh, market penetration? Sure. So right now we're at that position where we're transitioning from, let's say, the pilot slash demonstration phase to an actual commercialization phase where we're doing actual full projects. Um, the, the past couple of years we've done 
small scale installations, retrofit projects like a floor in a building or a two, small two story high rise, uh, low rise building. And um, that was very important, necessary and helpful basically in understanding the performance of the, of the product in different uh, uh, climate zones, different kind of geographic uh, locations uh, and uh, understanding exactly the value proposition, the cost benefit, uh, where where would make more sense than other locations. Uh, we've done projects in, you know, or installations in uh, Boston, Seattle, Los Angeles, Portland, Oregon, um, New York, Minnesota, Twin Cities. So we've Houston also. So we've done kind of now we have a really good understanding of where where it's best uh, in terms of market penetration, uh, where it makes more sense in terms of energy savings, what kind of building types, building locations, uh, characteristics, all of that. And right now we have uh, several big projects in our pipeline that uh, we're working on 10 story to 50 stories, basically, uh, to do retrofits. And uh, you have um, uh, for both products, basically, for both solutions, we have these kind of uh, potential projects now. For us, for the next step, we have, I mean, with the way we built our business model is that it's easily scalable. It's not capital intensive. A lot of people think that this is a deep tech or hard tech uh, and there's a hardware uh, product involved. So it's very uh, capital intensive. It's really not because we're outsourcing all of the capital intensive parts to partners. So we have, we don't have our own manufacturing facility. We don't have, you know, equipment, labor or anything. It's outsourced to partners. Uh, we have a really great partner here in Houston uh, who can support up to 200,000 or more square feet produced per year. Uh, so that's that's a that's a big volume. And then we have another partner lined up, basically if we need more capacity uh, beyond the capacity of our existing partner. In terms of training installers, you know, yes, training sometimes required in, in our flagship technology. This, the other technology is, is very simple. It's kind of DIY. Uh, even facility engineers or facility people can do the install. Uh, doesn't require skilled labor, but for our flagship technology, it's not like it's uh, rocket science. So it's uh, kind of easy to install. At the end of the day, you know, training on a couple windows after they install. So to give you an example, uh, we did training for for a group one time, and it took them one hour to install the first window, half an hour to install the second one. And then 10, 20 minutes, 10, 10 or 15 minutes to install uh, the third one. So that gives you an idea of how the progress can happen really fast in terms of learning how to do this, uh, this system uh, or this retrofit. So every everywhere we go, there are glaciers that are local that are interested in in the retrofit market uh, for a number of reasons. And um, they're, 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 uh, they would like to kind of learn a new new system, new technology and have competitive edge in the market to, to do these type of projects. So um, we've trained we've trained several partners. And as we go through this process, we improve our training program, make it more efficient, more cost-effective, more faster. Uh, so we believe now we're at the point where uh, we're ready to kind of transition to a uh, full commercialization for, mm -hmm. for our solutions. And, and just 
uh, based on your estimates and the different like uh, suitability in terms of like you know region and uh, type of buildings and uh, uh, climate in itself what's your estimate of the, the the amount of like buildings or square footage or uh, market size in itself to give a, a little bit that uh, that overview on the US side only maybe yeah i mean I, I, as if you remember we've done some uh research and based on estimates we 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 think there is like globally 292 billion square feet of single pane windows available that's the existing kind of base of of installed mm -hmm. windows if you if you're on the you, you do the math that's about like a 9.5 trillion dollar retrofit opportunity uh, in general for window retrofits globally now in the us um there are estimates that show about 7 billion square feet for single pane windows you're talking 20 billion square feet for energy inefficient windows which include low performing double pane and single pane and and, and that's in terms of a, a market opportunity we're talking about if i'm not mistaken i think around 200 billion dollars uh, market opportunity in general every year you have uh one to two percent retrofit rate uh in general uh renovation rate let's say there is new construction that happens at two and a half percent of the total built environment or like all existing buildings two and a half percent retrofit renovations and then i think half a percent demolished buildings demolished so that two and a half percent renovation the estimate is that one percent of of those buildings uh basically do replacement windows so that's the market for replacement that's estimated at about if i'm not mistaken i think i remember the math it was around 150 billion dollars uh per year uh and if you take that and you focus on uh a sub-segment of that um that's uh like commercial buildings built between you know let's say 1950 and 2000 uh, and only single pane, you're talking about $30 billion market opportunity in, in the US annually. And then for us, you know, if you if you dig deeper, we focus on these niche markets. It's, you know, you have uh, more than a billion dollar uh, in terms of market opportunity for interviews in terms of uh, the serviceable, obtainable market. So it's it's a huge market and that's not factoring in kind of, you know, international market for interviews. So if you look at that, uh, that's that's obviously bigger, and there is licensing plays that could be uh, uh, adopted here with the international market. So, and the reason is because basically you have multiple drivers for retrofits. It's not all all the time just purely driven by energy efficiency. You have thermal comfort, rock comfort being a major driver, acoustic comfort, acoustic insulation. You have aesthetics, so upgrading, refreshing the look of the building to help reposition it in the market following a deep energy retrofit, for example. Uh, so there are many drivers for, for retrofits, for, for adopting our technologies and solutions. So uh, if you factor all that in with the different markets, hotels, uh, commercial office, uh, multifamily, residential, hospitality, higher ed, schools, um, you 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 see that there's a huge market opportunity that is largely untapped right now because full replacement just doesn't make financial sense. Uh, so 
Um, and now is the perfect time with all these kind of incentives, tax deductions, tax credits that are available in the US and, and abroad, so. Okay, so finally, what's the, um, I would say, what's your personal opinion on the, the climate crisis? I mean, something that I always ask to uh, to my guests on the show, uh, try to understand what would you say to uh, to people who feel demoralized uh, by all the already visible consequences of, uh, of climate change? I mean, are we doomed? I, I don't think we're doomed. I think there's, I mean, from where I'm sitting, I'm seeing a lot of efforts, a lot of movements, and, you know, a lot of companies are taking action. Obviously, more is needed, and uh, more is better here, not less is more in this in this regard. Uh, but I, I'm an optimistic person, and I believe we'll, we'll be able to, to get to where we need to be at net zero, keep it under, you know, two degrees or 2.5 degrees, 1.5 degrees uh, on time by 2030, 2040 uh, with the efforts that is being made. Obviously, there's a lot of efforts in the works right now, you know, government, public, private sectors taking a lot of really interesting initiatives, either fostering and uh, incubating new technologies or encouraging the development of new technologies that will get us there and there's right now technologies already available that can get us there uh, it's so these kind of you know regulations and incentives is really playing a major role and if you ask me we need to have those in every jurisdiction every city if we want to really catalyze change and make it happen on time uh, and fast enough uh, incentives alone are not enough and leaving it to private to the private sector is not enough all of these at play form really strong tailwinds to be able to make that happen uh you have the um kind of sustainability targets for for corporates and uh the private sector with esg basically the environmental uh targets for net zero carbon neutrality that's really helpful because the private sector is pushing, but you have building owners and their clients are asking that I cannot be in, a, in an uh, energy inefficient building uh, and they they move to different and more energy efficient. That's pushing the market to really adopt uh, and improve uh, the performance of their existing structures. Um, so I don't think we're doomed. I think there's a, there's a big movement happening. Not a lot of people here are, are hearing about it because, you know, it's happening in, in certain, you know, uh, segments in the market. But I think over the next five years, uh, it's it's becoming more mainstream. And uh, there's signs that adoption is rising for these kind of technologies. And uh, uh, we're creating the right environment for it to to, re to reach the goal of net zero or carbon, carbon neutrality by 2030 or 2040. So... Um, and it's it's interesting when I started interviews, you know, I was, you know, I heard a lot of the, about the climate crisis, and but I didn't dig deep into the science and learning more about the kind of the problem specifically and doing research about it. So the first part of uh, our my market research and analysis was just to learn more about that problem. And uh, in our early market research book, we have like twenty pages just talking about that climate crisis and exactly showing the why buildings are sort of like a big important piece of that puzzle to solve 
and and how everything is kind of lined up together you know from uh how things are working and and, and over the history how things evolved to where we are and how you know basically humans are have have contributed to that rise and 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 you know the climate change and uh, climate crisis and the science is there the numbers are there and anyone can really you know look for them and see them and see how we can basically if we start to implement certain solutions you'll see that the the impact and it's already being now monitored and you can see the impact you know the line on the charts is is improving uh so i think we have what it needs what it takes to get there we just need to kind of keep building the momentum around this movement and uh support new technologies support new initiatives and uh uh take a holistic approach with incentives, regulations, and public-private sector working together to make it happen, so. How can the listeners of the show, founders, investors, experts can uh, help you? Uh, spreading the word, spreading the message, basically. A lot of building owners, a lot of people don't know that our solution exists or there is a solution for the building envelope uh, or the building efficiency uh, problem. And uh, a lot of what we're doing is educating uh, the, the kind of commercial real estate market that uh, there's now cost-effective solutions that can be considered like an energy retrofit uh, for facades and windows. And it's really cost-effective and it makes sense to happen even before upgrading the HVAC systems. Uh, and heating cooling systems because then you can downsize those systems you can save on the upgrade costs and and e be able to even transition to electric heat pumps or electrify the building in terms of investors obviously you know startups needs funding and uh, we're we're uh, on the journey to kind of get to full commercialization so we're raising funding all the time basically uh and we're about to launch series a uh soon so we're looking for investors who are interested in you know in in our venture in uh climate tech and deep tech and helping us get to market uh, faster and bring this technology to building owners but thank you so much uh, anas for for your time for uh, all the incredible insights uh, for all the effort and uh, what you guys are building to make this world uh, a better world uh so thank you so much for coming on the show Thank you, Guillaume. It's uh, it's great uh, chatting with you and uh, really appreciate having you on, on the podcast. Thanks again for joining us on the Tech for Climate podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show. Stay tuned next week for more Climate Tech Insights. In the meantime, head on over to our webpage at startupbasecamp.org where we have lots more insights and resources for anyone wanting to get involved in climate tech. If you find our resources useful, please consider donating to support our small self-funded team. Don't forget to subscribe and share with your friends and see you next time.